Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Adam Nutter. Adam is a stand-up comic, a libertarian stand-up comic at that. He has some interesting backstories in the world of football and mixed martial arts. And also, surprisingly, he shared with me on the episode today that he was a police officer for many years in New York. Uh, That one kind of caught me off guard, but great episode today. Really appreciate Adam joining me. If you're a fan of The Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Adam Nutter. Adam is a stand-up comedian, a former MMA fighter, and a libertarian uh, I guess you could say activist or, or podcasting personality, that type of thing. He's from originally from up in New York, now in Pennsylvania. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Ah, oh, thanks, man, for having me. Uh, good. good. Uh, I just woke up not too long ago because I'm a comic. So I go to bed at like you know four thirty, <laughs> wake up at like eleven in the afternoon, like a real piece of garbage. Did you do a, a stand up uh, work? Some stand up work last night. Nope. <laughs> this is how my body is trained now to go uh, sleep and go to bed. Okay. So I, I had nothing going on. I was playing video games all night like a like a, like a 12-year-old. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, my introduction I gave for you, Adam, was that accurate or is there anything that should be added to uh, my introduction for Adam Nutter or anything no, I mean, that I got, got wrong? That's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I play football for a while too, but that's not really important to what we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, I like, got... Uh, yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty accurate. That was pretty pretty much it. <laughs> Actually, let, let's dive into your your athletic background. You played football for a while. Uh, does that mean high school football, or did you play maybe also college football? Yeah. Uh, so I played a, a year or two before high school. Then I played all of high school. Then I got partially recruited to uh, a D two school. Then they had money issues, and then they couldn't take any partial scholarship for any sports program. 
Uh, so you know, if it's football, you know they're they're in a financial crisis. The football's like the money maker for every school, usually, or basketball. So once they're cutting football, it's like that's not good. So then, uh, I, I I was I also got a partial scholarship to Iona College in upstate New York. Like not even upstate, like right above the Bronx. And uh, when I when I went from New Haven to Iona, I was like, hey, can I come back here and play now? They're like, nah, too late. <laughs> like you had your chance. I'm like ah, fuck. All right. So, uh, at 18, I just, I went into Jersey cause I, 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 up in Staten Island is right over the fucking bridge. Uh, I went and I played semi pro for a few years. Uh, I played for the Edison Mustangs from like 18 to like 24, 25 years old. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. And I was like, it's, it's semi pro. It sounds cooler than it is. It's whatever. But like, I also played a few years of like flag and two-hand touch also in, in between there, like in the off seasons. Uh, yeah, I was doing that while also doing MMA, which is a lot of work. <laughs> I work around that. Very cool. Um, what position were you in football? Uh, safety. Okay. So what? how tall are you? About how much do you weigh? Or I guess uh, at did the you time, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm six foot. That doesn't change, right? I'm six foot. <laughs> That's yeah. always, always six foot. Uh, now I'm, I'm uh, 165 pounds of just nothing. I have no muscle. I have no fat. I'm just a fucking skeleton with some skin on it. Uh, back in my playing time, I was like 205, 210 of like muscle. <laughs> I had like, oh, I kind of abs and stuff. Uh, so I was like, I was like a little, I was like, I was like built. Now I'm just nothing. I, I just stopped working out. I hate it. I'm just bored. I hate working out now. <laughs> I hate it. I hate the gym. Okay, um, before we move on to your MMA background, you mentioned Iona. I'm here in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know how much you even follow basketball, but Rick Pitino, of course, was the head coach for University of Kentucky, (laughs) and then the Celtics, and then Louisville, and long story short, he's now up at Iona. Are you very familiar with the Iona basketball program, or or Rick Pitino at all? I know Rick Pitino, of course, just from the, uh, uh, the world of sports. Uh, I'm not I'm not a huge basketball fan, um, so basketball's already a foreign to me, kind of. But of course, I know you know. Uh, no, I had no idea about this college ba- basketball program. I, I barely knew about their football program, honestly. I, I really, don't, I really only knew about it because they asked you to, or partially asked me to come play for them. Okay. <laughs> um, did you do any wrestling or anything in high school or or before no. then? No. Okay. So how did no, you get I into was, martial arts? Let's dive into. I also, you know, I'm not a former fighter or anything like that, but I do train a little bit of jujitsu, like a hobbyist and a little bit of boxing. Um, but tell me your backstory within the world of, of uh, MMA and, and training martial arts. So I, uh, I'm 35 and uh, it's important because I was a nerd before that shit was cool. So like I was into comic books and stuff in the nineties when like Spider-Man, Batman weren't cool. Like people forget that's cool now. But back then, that was, like, you got made fun of for that. Like, you got bullied for that. Like, that wasn't, like, a, a badge you could wear with honor. Like, that was a badge you had to hide and then fight people <laughs> if they found out you like Spider-Man or a comic book. So, uh, you know, I'm growing up in Staten Island, New York, a very Italian-Irish place for the most part. A bunch of dickhead kids. You know, I grew up in the south part of Staten Island. And uh, I didn't have a lot of friends. I had, like, a, a few close friends but I was like I said really good at football but I was also a nerd so like people like the other kids respected me for like my football ability 
But outside of playing, like the game, I was just bullied. And like I wasn't really, I didn't really have too many fights like as a kid. Like I mean, I got into more fights as a kid playing sports than I did like just like getting bullied like for the comic books and stuff. Like you know, like, like, like we would get into fights like playing football with like the rival neighborhood kids. Cause, you know, like it's down out and everyone like, you know, it's like, you'd be like, yeah, bitch. And like, what'd you say? It's a fight. Like you call someone a bitch. It's a fight. Like, it's like, it's a fight right away. We, we had like a bunch of fights like that, but, uh, not so much for the bullying stuff. I did hate getting bullied though. So even when I played high school, like I didn't have any friends in high school, like, like uh, on the football team, besides one friend who I'm still, uh, very close to today. Um, and it was like, it was very much like, oh man, you had, what a great game, Adam. Like, great job. And then the next day of practice, I was like, fucking gay. Like, I would get bullied and stuff. So I hated it. And I was like, all right. So once I hit 18, that's when, I was in 2004. That's when, like, uh, the UFC started getting popular, really popular. And, like, I knew of the UFC. And I, I used to kind of watch it when I can back before that. But it was harder. I had, like, like a fucking VHS copy or something. But that was, like, more readily available. And I was like, oh, you know what? I, I like this shit. Also, if I just learn how to defend myself, like no one's going to ever bully me again, ever, ever, ever. So I initially got into it at 18. You'd be like, yeah, bully me for Spider-Man again. I'll literally choke you the fuck to death. I'll choke you the fuck out. Right. Like, you know, so I started out like that, but then my competitor spirit, cause I'm a fucking football player and I, you know, I have a very competitive drive in anything I do. So I was like, Oh, well, I, all right, well, this is cool. I'm also not being bullied really anymore. Cause I'm an adult now. And like, I didn't realize that kind of stops <laughs> once you get into like adulthood. Uh, so I'm like, oh, what am I going to do with this fucking knowledge I have? I was like, oh, let's see how, I guess I can take it to a sport. And then I was like, oh, I guess I can try fighting, you know, amateur. And I fought amateur for one year. And here's the other problem. I was doing this in New York. It was illegal in New York. You could train and stuff. That was obviously, but you couldn't have a, 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 a sanctioned fight in New York City or New York State at all. So what I had to do was go to Jersey or Connecticut to have sanctioned fights. And I only have four sanctioned fights in the books because we had a bunch of unsanctioned fights. In the <laughs> like a shit ton. Um, they were legit, like legit cage, legit ref, legit, like everything was safe, but it was just like off the books. Cause you know, couldn't be done. Uh, but I only did that for like a year, a year and a half, like the fighting for a year, a year and a half. Cause I was like, Oh, I don't really want to do this professionally. Like I realized pretty quickly going into it. I was like, this is great to like have in my back pocket, like this knowledge. I love watching MMA. I love watching the UFC every Saturday when it's on. Like I can't wait for this Saturday. It's, it's great and everything. But like I was training with guys who were trying to become professional fighters and the dedication they were going through. I was like, yeah, I don't care that much. I don't want to not eat ever. And also I was still playing football, so I couldn't cut weight like that because I still had to play football. So I had a fight at light heavyweight, which you shouldn't be doing as somebody who has a lot of weight behind them already. So I, cause I couldn't cut away football. So I, I, I go, I would only cut about five pounds. So I would, I would football I would play around two ten, and then like fight week, I would just cut five pounds and fight at two Oh five. And it was crazy. So yeah, that, that was pretty much my foyer into the world of fighting. Okay. And when you say, um, your, your venture into the world of mixed martial arts, did you train anything in particular or was it kind of, you did like kickboxing and wrestling and jujitsu all in one. So it was specifically MMA training the entire time. And also do this you do, was, do any yeah. training t today? 
Okay, so I I originally when I was seventeen, I started taking uh, Kempo, which is you know a form of martial art. Uh, then at eighteen, uh, the owner of the gym and a few other coaches saw the potential of MMA. And they were also, some of those guys were also kind of doing MMA early on before that was like a big thing anyway. So they were like, oh, we should just start doing MMA here. And they converted and I, I was like one of the first people to convert with them. And that's how that started. But, so yeah, it was pure MMA. Like I never, I don't have a jiu-jitsu belt because I never classically studied in jiu-jitsu, right? Like I just did the class, I just trained in jiu-jitsu unofficially with, with my school at the time. Uh, I was never good in jiu-jitsu anyway, so I, I would probably only classify myself as like a fucking blue belt, maybe. Uh, but um, maybe no more than, there's definitely no more than that. Definitely for sure, no more than that. Uh, and now, no, I'm done with everything because I have too much bra- uh, head injury. I have too much brain trauma from football and MMA and car accidents where I'm not supposed to get my head hit anymore. So I, I kind of shot steer clear from anything that could, kill me <laughs> sure um i know being a safety in football that's arguably as prone to just some crazy ass collisions as any position out there would you agree i grew up idolizing john lynch sure and if anybody out there the young kids know john lynch is the current gm of the 49ers but before that john lynch was one of the Top three hardest hitting punishing safeties in the league, uh, history of the NFL, and the way he played the game, he was a fucking brilliant defensive minded athlete. Like, if you listen to like the 2002 Bucks Super Bowl, he's calling every play from the Raiders that before they even snap. Like he's putting, like he's like, all right, uh, DJ, go here. He's like Brooks, go here. He's like they, they're gonna go, they're gonna run to the left. Like he knew everything. Um, but the way he hit people, you can't, like, he couldn't play in today's game. 100%, he'd be fined every fucking, he'd be thrown out of every game. And he commanded respect from the middle of the field, or anywhere he was. Like, the whole eight-man-in-the-box thing, that was invented because of John Lynch, pretty much. Like, like, like the Tampa cover two was only available, was only playable, because you had Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, and John Lynch in that fucking defense. So when I was growing up playing football, I was like, oh, this is who I want to play like. So when I played, I was like, you play for zero care of your body. You just, you play to dominate the field. You play to fuck this other team up and you play to command fear from these receivers. And that's what I did. So I would just throw my body and my fucking head into everybody at full speed (laughs) for fucking 10 years, like a psychopath. Wow. For no money. <laughs> okay, well, gl- <laughs> sounds like just a ton of glamorous amateur MMA, um, yeah. low-level, um, but still semi-professional football, a little bit of high school, college football, uh, a lot of, and I'm being, of course, facetious, not in an insulting way, but glamorous lifestyle in many ways. No, it definitely was. It was like, it was like, oh, this is what more successful people do, except they get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I still have to like go to work and be a comic and like all other shit. So, okay. So if, that's your, your background in the world of sports. How did you come about pursuing a career as a stand-up comic? Uh, I guess kind of the same 
Bane as a football MMA stuff kind of like well that's MMA stuff. I always loved laughing and loved comedy and and comedic comedic movies when I was a kid. Then you discover stand up comedy and you're like, oh, this shit's awesome. And I grew up in New York City listening to fucking the heydays of Opie and Anthony with Jim Norton. And, uh, you know, Jim Norton and those guys introduced me to Bill Burr, Louis C.K., Patrice O'Neill, Rich Voss, Bobby Kelly, all before they were famous. Uh, you know, and Patrice O'Neill is my favorite comic of all time, rest in peace. And listening to those guys every fucking day, you're like, oh, okay, this is, I think I want to do this. Like, this is what I, I truly love. Like, I, yeah, dude, if I could win the NFL, for sure. <laughs> right? 100%. That was happening. So I, w- I was like, oh, this is what I truly fucking love. I, I love laughing. And also, being quick and witty and funny is a good deflection for getting bullied. Like, if you could turn that, people fuck with you. Um, so I, I was kind of doing that already. Uh, then at 18 years old, I, I, you know, living in Staten Island, New York City, I went over to the comic strip in Manhattan. I did my very first open mic. And I fell in love with comedy. Okay. So you've been doing comedy. You said you're now 35 years old. You started, was it at age 18? Is that right? I took a break though. There's a break. There's like a seven year break, eight year break. But yeah, I started at 18 to like 21 and then I picked it back up again, like 26 full time, 27. Okay. So uh, from 27 to 35, really. Okay. And what about your uh, political evolution. Uh, everybody's story is a little bit different. You know, some people grow up the son or daughter of a couple Democrats. So they're, they're lifelong Democrats or vice versa with the Republicans. And then, you know, if someone comes to being a libertarian, uh, it's normally at least a little bit more unique of a story. What is your backstory with your political ideologies and, and your evolution within that world? And how did that become a part of your, I guess your, your comedy Stick. Uh, oh well, okay. So there is something that we forgot to mention about me, actually. Which okay. is, it's not. It's it's known, but it's not like I don't. I don't talk about it too much. But if it's gets brought up, I talk about it. I don't give a shit. Um. So before I touch on that, my both my parents were lifelong Republicans. So when I was eighteen, I, you know, you have to pick your fucking affiliation. Uh, so I chose Republicans, not because I didn't give a shit, right? Like I was in politics. I was, I was playing football. Like I didn't give a fuck. I was like, what's all I care about was football. Um, so I picked Republican, but then, you know, you start paying attention more and more. Uh, the reason I took that giant break from comedy was because I could be a cop for fucking eight years. Holy <laughs> fuck. I didn't expect yeah. that. I did not expect yeah, that yeah. a cop in, in New York. So yeah. So the reason being is, and it's important to understand, like, again, Staten Island is the only conservative leaning borough in New York city, right? Like it's full of city workers and Italians who don't give a fuck about the left. They're just right. There's like, you know, they don't care about the Republicans either, but they're just right leaning. Like, you know what I'm saying? Their values are conservative mostly. So, my whole upbringing as a child in Staten Island was like, get a city job, be retired at 41, you have benefits, you'll have a pension for life, don't worry, you know, that, that's all I was talked about. Half my, not my parents weren't, but half my family were like firemen, sanitation, cops, teachers, all city jobs, all of them. So growing up, 
Beating my head was that. So my goal was, again, play fucking football, get the fuck out of this, just go play football. That didn't pan out. Comedy, right? I'm a kid doing comedy, and I'm panicking. I'm never going to make money off this. My parents are going to be mad at me. I just didn't give it time. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm 20 years old. Like, what do I do? Do I just stick out comedy or do I just get a fucking job and just have everybody not mad at me? And then my cousin was like, dude, just sign up for the fucking test. Take the police test. It's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, it kind of sucks, but he's like, I'm almost retired. And again, I know nothing politically, nothing fucking economic. I don't know any of that shit. All right. Like I'm not who I am now. So I'm like, all right, that's pretty cool. You retired at 41. He's like, yeah, man, I'm retired in like a few years. I'm like, that's fucking sweet. I guess I could just do that. And I'm like, oh, I hate bullies, right? Because I got bullied my whole life. I'm like, oh, I hate bullies. And my whole perception was like, oh, cops stop bullies. They get bad guys. Because I'm just thinking about what my cousin does. And I was like, all right, cool. So I signed up. I passed. Like, like it's so easy. They call me like immediately. I left college early. To go into the academy like an asshole. <laughs> uh, over the four years of college, I didn't graduate. Fucking idiot. Um, so I go to the academy, and I get into the academy in January of '08, and uh, I go in like you know, bright eyed, bushy tail, thinking like, oh, I'm here to help people, and and they're like, yeah, yeah, no, wrong, wrong job. We don't help people here. Like we we ruin lives if anything. And I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> so then I get in. And I realized it's not what it is at all. I guess it's not what it's about. And I was like, fuck. This is what I signed up to be. And then, um, 2012, no, 2008, uh, I, I start to get more involved politically because now I'm seeing everything that's going on around me. And I'm like, oh, this isn't cool. I'm seeing how, you know, they're treating people and how the city's treating people. And I'm like, this is fucked up. Then I kind of heard Ron Paul in 08. And I was, I, I, I'm like, I kind of what I was saying, but I didn't really, I still wasn't super involved in politics in a way, right? I just kind of heard this guy. I was like, that guy kind of has his shit together. Let it go. Because again, just didn't really care. Fast forward more years. I'm like, ah, this is, this is fucked. This is just shitty. I hate this. This is fucked. I hate it. I hate all the laws, all the fucking shit I see. I worked in Staten Island. I worked in a precinct that was predominantly white people. It was very white precinct. And I don't mean the cops. I mean the, like the constituency, the precinct was white. So I just dealt with white, poor trash or rich white people. Cause that was my precinct. It was like very, it was a, it was very dynamic, like a socioeconomic place. Like you had some of the richest property on the, on, on the country in Staten Island in my precinct. And then like buy the poor beach houses uh, for just straight white trash. So I just dealt with a lot of that. Really no racial tensions, but I did work during the Ray Kelly stop and frisk era. And a lot, we had a, we were just told under supervision straight up, like, stop that person for this, stop that person for that. And it was like, you know, fucked up. So I worked midnights and a lot, uh, and you know, you, uh, you meet some people who are like-minded like you, let's say. And a few of us at midnights were like, yo, we're just going to police how we think we should police. So like none of us ever, 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 ever wrote a thing about drugs, anything ever about that. We just kind of focused on like assault, domestic violence, theft shit like that. Um, robbery, you know, things that you would want to want them to as libertarian anyway. Uh, then 2012 hit and then Ron Paul, I caught that the Ron Paul second wave hard. And I was like, oh, okay, 
then I realized what I was. I realized what a libertarian was. I realized all that shit. And I was like, okay, well, I had a kid. Now, and I also had a kid at the time. And I was like, fuck, well, now I need money. I can't just quit. Kids are responsible. So I was like, let me get the fuck off patrol at least and try to do something where I will limit my impact negatively to society as much as I can. So I put in for canine because canine in New York city is not used how it's used for the rest of the country. Like the rest of the country, people think canine, they think canine patrols, they pull people over to look for drugs. Nah, New York city. They're like, just go stand at the subway. It's like, go stand at like Yankee stadium. Like, it, like canine was used for show. Like they didn't use them for anything. So I was like, oh, it'd be great. I'll just do that. I love dogs. I'll have a dog. I'll just fucking go to work with the dogs. That'd be cool. But I got into my third car accident while I was waiting to get into canine on that job. Uh, and I got too fucked up. And, you know, all these car accidents on the job, coupled with years of concussions from main football, they were like, you're, you're not mentally and physically able to do this job anymore. I was like, thank you. I agree with you. I can't. <laughs> I'm fucked up. So they let me go. And that's when I went to comedy again full time. But watching, but being in that job, seeing a lot of stuff solidified every libertarian position I have now. And that's what made me a radical, if anything. Wow. That was definitely a, a very relevant um, piece of your backstory, especially when it comes to the, the uh, political ideology thing. Would you describe yourself as more of an anarchist or maybe a minarchist? Nah, anarchist. <laughs> anarchist, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you think all drugs should be legal? Yeah. Okay. Because I don't give a shit. Like, I'm not going to do heroin. Most people won't. You know? Like, that's the thing you're going to do if you're going to do it. I've I've been on uh, Vicodin perks and all that shit before for, like, when I get cheap pulled and stuff. And, like, yeah, it feels great. I've been on fucking... um. What's that thing called? Dilutin? Dialtin? It's like, uh, I had a severe gallbladder infection and I had to get like emergency gallbladder surgery a few years ago, like seven years ago. And the pain I was in, I I was physically punching and kicking the the, uh, hospital walls. I was in so much pain. And they gave me, I think it's called, it's it's, it's like a, it's like a stronger morphine and right IV drip right into me and it hits you and it's an immediate burning sensation in your chest. And then followed by that is like, Oh, I could die. I don't give a fuck about anything anymore. It's the best feeling in the world. Like it just takes over you. So like I get heroin, like I get the feeling of it, but like, I'm not going to do it. Cause I know the benefits don't outweigh that feeling. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, legalize everything. Of course. Like, like yet you're an adult decision, man. Make your adult decision. Okay. So you are describe yourself as a libertarian, but it sounds like, um, you're, you're even maybe more radical than just a, a description of being a libertarian, maybe even more so just a straight anarchist. Um, I, but you know, I feel like that the libertarian is so muddy now. Like, sure. like that word, like it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's almost like, it's like you say libertarian to almost mean like I'm not a Democrat or Republican, but it's like, it's like the, that word has been changed so many fucking times. It's like, what does it mean? <laughs> you know, I, I do. I mean, what, okay. So that brings me to an interesting topic. What do you think of the, state of the official national libertarian party over the past few years versus what is going to happen. Uh, we, we can assume is going to happen here shortly yeah. with the Mises caucus takeover. If someone's listening to the Kelly Patrick show and they don't know what I'm referring to with the previous few years of the libertarian party and then this new takeover, actually, if it's all right, Adam, could you summarize that? 
Yeah. So I'm a Mises person, obviously. <laughs> and, um, uh, so essentially the last 50 fucking years of the LNC, they were supposed to be, the Libertarian Party supposed to be a fucking door basher of, of messaging. These are the two duopoly scumbags. We're supposed to be like, yo, stop the fucking wars. Stop the fucking murder. Stop the, uh, uh, uh drug crime. Stop the COVID tyranny. All this shit. And they just sit by idly and say nothing. They, they care about, they care more about what you say to a trans person's pronouns than they do about you losing your business during a riot or during a fucking COVID tyranny lockdown, which to me is the bigger deal. Sorry. It just is. So the last two years, the Mises caucus is like, yeah, we're done with this, man. We're just done. We, we, ha- we need messaging. We need actual messaging. We need to make a fucking impact in, in, in this culture change to shift people, the, the average person's eyes and ears and vote it to us. So come next week or two weeks from now in LNC, there's going to be hopefully a major shift to the staffing at, 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 the, at the national party, which is as in president, vice uh, chair, vice chair, uh, secretary, all that shit, because they have to go. They've been a detriment to the party. They haven't done shit. They've been sitting idly by and, and dragging us down and it has zero impact. Anytime there's been a major, uh, uh, news story from either scumbag or, uh, presidency, Biden or Trump doesn't matter. Biden's worse, but whatever the Biden one right now is going on. So we'll use it as an example. So uh, the, 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 the ministry of the ministry of truth, the disinformation board, whatever the fuck you want to call it, where the fuck are they? Where the fuck is their messaging about how this is bad? This leads to fucking evil. Who's the, you know, anything you can say about it. Who, who, who watches the Watchmen? Where was the, where was the messaging with the fucking lockdown? I have multiple friends who lost their businesses forever, forever. And they're struggling still because of that shit. Where were they? Uh, but you know, it's not enough to be racist. Anti-racist. You have to be anti-racist. Fuck you. Eat my fucking dick. Care about my fucking friend's business. They got shut down during riots because of fucking George Floyd bullshit. Are you fucking kidding me? They didn't say shit. So fuck them. I hope they all get fucking destroyed in two weeks. Sorry, I went on a rant, but that's how I feel. That's okay. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm looking for. So you, you feel very strongly. You were referencing the quote or the tweet that said it's not um, enough to be um, – to not be racist, you have to be actively anti-racist. That was a tweet that was sent out by Joe Jorgensen or one of her staffers or something yep. like that. Of course, George, Joe Jorgensen was the candidate for president in this last election, and she came across to many people, such as yourself or myself, as being far too woke. Is that accurate? Yeah. And yeah that- I, I don't care about that stuff. Like, I don't care. I don't care. Most of us don't care. Most of the, I don't mean Mises Caucus, most of the country doesn't give a fuck. And I don't mean like they hate it. I just mean like they don't care. It's not on their fucking list of things they give a shit about. They care about, hey, maybe I need more money. Hey, where's my son or daughter being taught? Oh, hey, where's my better job opportunity for me? Hey, where can I live? They don't give a fuck about some, uh, some trans person who's like, actually, I think you should call me this. They go, great. I care about where uh, my bank account's going. Like, that's what's important. That's what's important. Not anything else. That, that's just important. So, yeah, when you start throwing out tweets about the other bullshit that's not important, yeah, yeah, fuck you. Get rocked. The takeover appears to be 
taking place, uh, as you said, the Mises Caucus. You could say maybe Dave Smith is at the front of that. I know Angela McArdle will be very involved and many other people, but uh, a recurring theme that you are a part of is comedian libertarians. You have Dave Smith, you have Robbie the Fire Bernstein, even uh, Brian McWilliams or yourself. How valuable is it, in your opinion, to be able to present a liberty-centric message with good humor? Well, he named four of the seven libertarian comics out there. (laughs) Who did I leave off, actually? Uh, Lou Perez, Kyle Ruff, Josh Denny. I guess you consider Doug Stanhope a libertarian. Um, Ends about there. (laughs) That's honestly all I could think of. Uh, I really can't think of anybody else. Is Honestly, it, it's about those people. Okay, is it important to be able to deliver a political message with humor, or at least to, because if you tune into part of the problem, for example, you won't always hear Robbie and Dave joking around. It's not like a comedy podcast, but to have, right. the, have the potential for messaging, which can be seen by someone, maybe someone new to the party or new to the movement as this is a likable guy. He knows how to joke around when appropriate, but he also has this great message. How important, or is that important in your opinion? It's super important. Anything, I think if you could deliver a message with another positive delivery method to people, that's, that's just going to enhance your message. Um, and like with me, like Dave and Ro- like Robbie, especially is like fucking great with like political, like on stage humor, you know, like actual set, like his actual set. I don't do that. So like how my, my, how I do it is like, if you think I'm funny on stage, right? Like that guy was funny. That's my into you. So I go, Oh, you think I'm funny? That's cool. Hey, I, I'm also into this shit. You into this shit. And I'll sit there like, you know what I'm saying? They're good at getting you like on stage with stuff. I'm like my dick's whatever the fuck. I have a dick story. I have a drug story. I have a fucking story about this. I'm look at me. I'm dumb. But then you hear me talking about my podcast and I'm like being funny, talking about like, you know, issues. And people are like, oh, he's funny and this stuff is interesting. Oh, he knows what he's talking about. Oh, this is interesting. Maybe I, oh, I, I think about that too. Oh, I think like that too. Oh, I care about that issue. Or whatever the fuck it is. So I might, they might see me through comedy and then get me through and then, and then filter their way down Liberty Path. You know what I'm saying? So it's super important. Humor. I would agree. I mean, I know that Trump, of course, is not libertarian, but I mean, let's be honest. He was fucking funny. In many he was of, the funniest. <laughs> right? He, he was fucking, let's be honest. I mean, arguably the funniest human in the history of humanity. I don't he know. He easily the funniest politician ever. Hands down. Not even close. Like, like legitimately roasting people. Dude, when he when that one was like, you hate women. He's like, no, I don't. Just roast O'Donnell. That's legitimately a funny joke. Like the timing, like everything. Like, 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 even like, super liberal comics. If you got them, and I, I, I've asked, I'm like, yo, no one else is here right now. Just me and you. You think he's funny? They're like, no, he's funny. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they won't admit it in public, but he's funny. The Trump derangement syndrome almost makes some people not want to admit that sometimes. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's bizarre, but I, I, I've tried to get it out of some people and they're like, no, he's stupid. And then, and then in the same breath, they'll say, oh, he's, he's uh, doing this dog whistle racist stuff. And he's just, he's secretly, and I'm like, so do you think he's smart? And he's actually very secretive. 
And it's just a whole clusterfuck of emotions goes into this Trump derangement syndrome. Um, do, do you think Trump will run for president in 2024? Uh, man, if he does, won't be under the Republican ticket, though. Probably like an independent or something like that. I don't think he'll, go, well, I don't think he'll gain traction. I mean, I'll gain a little bit of traction, but I don't think he'll go anywhere. Uh, even if he does, I don't Even with the 80s, I don't know. The oldest fuck. I doesn't stop anybody though. <laughs> so do I don't really know. DeSantis, maybe he'll be the Republican candidate. Yeah, I'm thinking. Mm, okay, I, I'm thinking for sure. But like, again, like we talk about this a lot too. But it, it's like, it's like, yeah, we like DeSantis because he's doing things against the people we don't like. But the way he's doing them, it, it's bad, right? Because like that just opens the back door for the other side that we don't like to do things to us. So the way he's going about them is not good. But he's still better than other people. I've heard that his foreign policy, if he becomes president, his foreign policy will be arguably as bad as anyone ever. Yeah. I met, yeah, I meant domestic stuff. Yeah, I didn't even think of the foreign stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not a great, yeah, it's true. I heard that too. But, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. It's yeah. difficult to predict those types of things. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's an interesting time to be alive. I assume... Well, do you have any aspirations to run for office yourself at any point, Adam? Oh, zero, zero. Zero, zero percent. Um, I, I'm, the, I'm the county board rep for the state party. So I'm like the Bucks County board rep for the, you know, the, the Libertarian Party, and it ends there. Uh, my friends are running for office now. I have a friend running for governor of Pennsylvania, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of signature getting. It's, it's all that stuff I don't want to do. And also, once you start to run for like a position that threatens the duopoly, like governor or anything like that, they'll fuck with you. And I don't want to get fucked with. Like, I don't want skeletons being dug up in my closet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I don't want that shit. I want to just do comedy and, and talk about it on my podcast and, 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 and talk about liberty and spread liberty and, and recruit to the party. I don't want to run for shit. That's how the people can do that. I'll, I'll sit behind the scenes. Okay. Well, well, great stuff, Adam Nutter. I really appreciate you joining me. This is kind of a, sometimes when I do these episodes with new libertarian guests, I'm kind of dry or, you know, almost boring, but it's nice to hear your backstory and a little bit of an introduction, Adam, into, you know, what brought you into the world of, of, of liberty. If someone's listening and they like what they hear, how can they support you or follow you? What kind of plugs can you give us? Uh, yeah, um, just go at, at Adam Nutter on, on everything. That's where I am for everything. So you'll find me. Um, believe it or not, there's another Adam Nutter in the world and he's an English musician and he has to be furious. I have all the fucking at Adam Nutter stuff. It's so funny. Uh, cause he's technically a little more popular than me by numbers. Well, by a little bit, I'm trying to, I'm going to beat him out eventually, but right now he's above me and he has to be mad, but eventually I'm going to overtake him. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Um, so at Adam Nutter and all this stuff, uh, go check out my podcast, the porcupine. That's my political one. I do. And I, I have a lot, of, a lot of great guests. Uh, Cal, I, get, Cal, I gotta get you on one day for sure. Um, but uh, it's youtube.com slash Adam Nutter. Uh, and it's available at all the audios. And then I have a comedy podcast I do with my buddy, Neil Wood. He's another comic. Uh, that's called cult of us. It's really funny. We don't talk about politics. We just joke around. So if you want to make an escape from politics, Go check out The Cult of Us, youtube.com slash Cult of Us. Also, the audio is available everywhere. And uh, yeah, that's it, I think, pretty much. Come, come see me do stand-up when I'm on the road.
Great stuff. Well, Adam, I really appreciate you joining me. Once again, kind of an introductory type of episode. I'd love to chat with you again at some point in the future. Adam Nutter, thank you very much for your time. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, man. You too. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.